You're listening to The Last Thing I Saw. My name is Nicholas Rapold, and I'm an editor and a writer. For my latest conversation about movies, I was delighted to talk with culture critic Sheila O'Malley. Sheila writes about movies for the Roger Ebert site and the Criterion Collection, and she also keeps a terrific blog. One of my happiest accomplishments as an editor was taking her on as a columnist, writing about everything from female comedians to Nick Nolte to backting. In other words, acting with your back to the camera. For this episode, we caught up with the movie version of Hamilton, which brought us round to 8 Mile, the director Curtis Hansen, and the joys of Jackass and Nathan For You. Then we went on a former Soviet bloc tour with two documentaries, Red Penguins and Out of the Present, and finally, the Romanian puzzler Infinite Football. Welcome back to The Last Thing I Saw where I talk with people about, you guessed it, what they've been watching, and maybe throw in a couple of movies I've been seeing too. It's been a wonderful way to travel uh, and see people without uh, leaving the house. Uh, I mean, I do leave the house, rest assured. And for this episode, I'm very, very happy uh, to speak with a writer who I've had the pleasure and honor of publishing, Sheila O'Malley. Welcome, Sheila. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yes, I miss seeing people. I do. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's not a nice feature of the of the. No. And, and normally I just you know I don't like people all that much. You know I need <laughs> a lot of downtime away from people, and I'm realizing how much I love people. It's horrible. I have to rethink everything now. But if I want to go to a nightclub, kind of that's my feeling, which I never <laughs> want to do. That I want to go to a crowded dance floor. <laughs> um, which I will the second I'm allowed to. Have you been able to keep busy or keep your mind uh, occupied a little bit? I know you write uh, all the time um, on, on your own blog and you also write for Criterion and record video and audio stuff. So what, what have you been working on lately? You know, I review a couple movies a week, sometimes just one for Roger Ebert. So that's sort of the regular gig that I have now. And I do have this blog that I do maintain I've been doing writing this blog since 2002. Like, I'm never going to stop. I can't. <laughs> like, it was Philip Larkin's birthday yesterday. So I'm like, let me write a whole thing about Philip Larkin. You know, I don't know who even is reading this stuff at this point. but It's really wonderful because it's, I mean, I mean this is the probably not quite the right word, but it's almost like a commonplace book or a journal. Uh, I used to call, that was the first name of my blog, Nick. Oh. Okay. Book. okay. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And, you know, I, I never started the blog thinking I was even, I wasn't writing film criticism in 2002 when I started the blog. I mean, I was writing like posts about Cary Grant and stuff like that, but I didn't, I wasn't like hustling to try to get gigs. So I was writing about all kinds of stuff. I never wanted to just write about one thing. So because of that, I always have a very diverse group of people showing up. It's really reassuring to have that kind of community of, of people who are, are talking. I mean, in contrast to what goes on in Twitter, where it feels like everyone and no one is is like having a conversation. Absolutely. And... Which is fine. It's just a different format, you know, but mm -hmm. you can, you're, you're in public. You are declaiming yourself in public and any Joe Schmo can come and go, you suck, which is <laughs> absolutely, yeah. that's what Twitter is. Um, yeah. But like, you know, so I have these like passionate groups of people who show up anytime I write about Elvis. I got the same people coming. Um, Supernatural fans are, they're the most engaged fans 
it feels like a message board from 1999. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's old fashioned a little bit. I really like it. Um, that, that's sort of one reason I'm really excited to hear about one of the movies that, that you've uh, seen recently, because I know I'm going to learn a lot while, while I hear, hear about it. I wonder if you could talk a bit about Hamilton, um, which, of course, had its debut as a movie in July. Yes. And I saw it in previews. So I saw it before stuff got crazy. Ah, okay. Um, I saw it before the reviews came out. I was I was very lucky, but I also had been tracking it from its workshop days. I think it was at the public. I was an Alexander Hamilton stan before <laughs> everybody else, okay? Um, you have a $10 bill and he's gorgeous. I don't know what else to say. But um, so I, it was like this this alternate reality that someone had taken this Ron Chernow book, which basically rehabilitated his importance, his because mm-hmm. he was a villain for 200 years. He died too young and his enemies had his reputation, you know? So the fact that someone had made that into a hip hop musical, I thought I had died and gone to heaven, even just hearing about it. <laughs> yeah. So I saw it, we were sitting like way in the back and um, it was one of the most exhilarating live theater you could feel it was packed. It was all ages, very, very diverse, which you don't often get when you go to a Broadway show. So it had this feeling of like, wow, this is, this is new. This is fresh. And yeah. And it was, it was early enough that, and I saw the understudy for Hamilton. Um, okay. I don't remember his name now. So I did not see Lynn manual do it. LMM is what I call it. So anyway, so um, I was very glad that they filmed it. And that they filmed it the way they did, I think they did a they did a wonderful job how they how they filmed a play. You get close ups, which sometimes works, sometimes doesn't, because theater is different. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So a close up in film, like they're playing to the cheap seats, which is part of what you have to do when you're on stage. Um, this is not true for all of them, but um, all of the actors at all. But yeah, you get camera movement. Sometimes you get far back. There's not a lot of quick cuts, so you really can see the choreography. The ensemble was one of the things that really, really got to me uh, when I saw the production. Not just not the leads, but like the background people, mm-hmm. the way they were used and how good they all were, just physically, the choreography. So you really get to see that um, fantastic ensemble. So yeah, they they chose their camera angles really well it wasn't minimalist i would say but there are definitely some you know moving camera shots from horizontally but nothing too fancy you know i felt like i was watching the production it's clear that you're watching a production there's an audience there clapping what was it like since you had seen it as you know as a live show versus seeing it as as a movie also you know being familiar with the material so yeah what was the story like for you then I mean, if in a perfect world, I would have seen it two more times on Broadway. It's just that by the time the reviews came out and everything happened, it was like three years before you could even get a ticket again. And I also, you know, the fact that I saw the understudy for um, LMM, who was fantastic, I was excited to see the creator also do this role. But yeah, so I got to see the the moments that made such an impression, um, you know, that I can pick pick them out. I mean, the room where it happens is the famous, just the concept of that song. The fact Mm. that Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote a song about 
I'll, I'll be brief, but I really can't. It's like four chapters in now's book, okay? So um, Alexander Hamilton is finance, I think he's finance secretary at that point, secretary of finance, and is trying to get his debt plan through. And everybody thinks he's out of his mind. Like, why should, why should the federal government take on state's debts? Like, no, that's not. But he saw it as a unifying. This will unify us. Uh, people were thought he was speaking, you know, a, another language. Mm-hmm. So he was getting a lot of resistance. Nobody was going to sign off. Um, meanwhile, there was a huge fight in Congress about where to place the Capitol. So anyway, a, a secret meeting happened between Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, who despised Alexander Hamilton and everything he stood for, and Alexander Hamilton. So it's those three guys, and they literally had a private meeting, and they basically decided the future of our nation without any oversight, mm. no discussion. Basically, the Virginians, who were Jefferson and Madison, wanted... See, do you see how long this is? I'm no, it's, I, it's great. Because- yeah, so Jefferson and Madison wanted the capital to be in Virginia, to keep it in Virginia, because they were snobby Virginians. So <laughs> Alexander Hamilton was like, fine, you can have it. We, New York doesn't want it. So he he manipulated the situation perfectly mm. to get his debt plan through. And Aaron Burr, who is jealous of Alexander Hamilton's rise, is basically saying, I want to be in the room where it happens, you know? Yeah. And that's yeah. Leslie Odom Jr., who was, I mean, I, I have goosebumps just thinking about his performing of that particular song um, mm. because it's, I mean, when you think about it on a deeper level, it's like really how citizens feel, how everybody feels. What's going on? I want to be in the room where it happens. And do I need to be invited or can I just barge right on in? Like, anyway, so that one in particular, I was excited to see again because it was like, I remember the ovation to how he performed that and how that song was written. It's like the showstopper. And he was just amazing. I just gave you a small, I'm so impressed with myself that I was able to explain that, but I just took up probably 10 minutes of this podcast. No, I, I mean, for me, it's fascinating because it's almost like a, a, a critique of history in, in a way uh, and just how history is told. Obviously not saying anything profound here, but just in the sense that that's the central question, isn't it? Like that's the central question about how history unfolds and also like yeah. how, what it's we say men, about it, you know, in a room. But it also, though, uh, there's a line in the song, the art of the compromise, hold your nose and close your eyes. You know, that's (laughs) politics. So you give up something and you get something. This is kind of what we're not, we don't have at this current moment. Anyway, it's an incredible song. It's like six minutes long. So it does walk you through every single bit of that long ass story that I just told you of you know, Hamilton and where are we going to put the Capitol? And it's completely, it's a great history lesson, but it's also a great song. I felt the experience that I felt when I was in, when I saw it live. And Odie Henderson did the review for Roger Ebert. And I just want to shout out his, because he and I both saw the production. So I was so glad that he got to write the review. And so he was able to sort of talk about, and he loved it too, how this, how this movie kind of captures what we saw. I'm so glad they did that they didn't decide to, you know, do it the way Les Mis was done, you know, or 
bring it out of the theater and have people walking around in muddy streets with carriages and stuff like that. Like yeah. I, I feel like capturing, cause this was kind of a historic production in a lot of ways and yeah. kind of a phenom. So let's just let people see it. You know what I mean? Like, let's just yeah. like rent. It was like, you know, these kind of very unique cultural moments where everybody in the world wants to see a show, which doesn't happen a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, I mean, I saw his, when he performed at the White House before, you know, years before Hamilton even was, um, he was just working it and working on it and workshopping it. And he said, you know, um, I, I really think that one of the examples of hip hop is, is former secretary of treasury, Alexander Hamilton, of course, everybody laughs, but it really is about what can you do with your pen? You know, right. what can you um, convey uh, my shot, which is Alexander Hamilton, he's basically saying, I'm going to, I'm going to, I need to have my shot. I have nothing, which basically, if you listen to it, it is Eminem's lose yourself. I mean, it really is Eminem and lose yourself. is like, here I go. It's my shot. Feet fail me not. This may be the only opportunity that I got. It's exactly the same, you know, so it's filled with nods like that. So I don't mm-hmm. know. I think he was very inventive with sort of styles and uh, different kinds of hip hop because it's very diverse. Yeah. Yeah. Should we talk a bit about, um, since you brought up Eminem, should we talk a bit about Eight, Eight Mile? Because that was another movie. I, yes. I mean, I saw it when it came out, and um, which was the same year as his Eminem show dropped. It was, it was 2002, which in my memory, it was just such a horrible year in New York. Because it was yeah. Great, you know? I don't know the dates, but it was like all Eminem all the time, all year. It was like a movie about his life, and then one of his best albums drops um and it was he moved into maureen dowd was writing columns about why is my grandmother listening to this you know nasty (laughs) kid you know anyway i i had some stuff to say about eminem and i'm way late to the game but i'd written something about him before about his song kim where he you know fantasizes about killing his wife and um I wrote about it as, you know, like the, I think it's a great love song and nobody has commented on it, which I just wonder why. I'm not sure. Um, what can I say? So I was getting into sort of the, the battle rap kind of scene that he came out of. And so 8 Mile is kind of, you know, a movie showing the battle rap scene and how it works. So anyway, that was, it was kind of fun to watch again. Yeah. And 8 Mile directed by Curtis Hansen. Which I is- know. Yeah. What an interesting director, man. Yeah. You look at his filmography, and he's just very versatile. I, I came across this curio, I think is the, is the word for it, from earlier in his career, which is some reason I was on Amazon. I think it's like a TV movie drama. It's called The Children of Times Square. I'm not saying it's especially good, but it's just, he definitely ranged um, far and far and wide. Yeah, I mean, he didn't really direct that much, but... What he did kind of has a cast a long shadow, you know, yeah. LA Confidential, obviously, um, and The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Come on, that's a very influential film if you think about it. <laughs> and then Wonder Boys. I don't know. It's kind of an interesting. I don't know what the sort of critical feeling is on Curtis Hansen. For LA Confidential, I think if if he made just that one film, a lot of people would be quite happy, kind of yeah. enshrining him in some kind of uh, right. pantheon. Um, yeah. I mean, launched a couple careers, too. I mean, yeah. I mean, Russell Crowe had been working, but in terms of becoming this big American star, that hadn't happened yet. And and just to kind of 
glamour. Um, I mean, yeah. uh, I think every other year some film claims to bring back glamour to, to Hollywood or movie making or, or stardom or something. But that was definitely a movie that didn't just feel like a weird kind of warmed over. Um, yeah, no. It, yeah, because I read the book too. It felt, it felt like the book. Um, maybe a little less sick and twisted, you know, believe it or not. But, um, you know, Bud White yeah. is like a very, very, very damaged man, you know, um, which I think yeah. Russell Crowe kind of managed to suggest very powerfully. So he did, yeah, LA Confidential, then Wonder Boys. He kind of went jo- maybe job to job. I don't know. But I, each one of these is like kind of interesting. And just a really thorough, um, a thorough world in, in each of them um in her shoes yeah. i also remember liking i haven't seen that in a while but, oh and chasing um, mavericks i forgot i i have a soft spot for surfing movies and i really like chasing mavericks oh yeah <laughs> i love surfing movies. um so yeah so eight mile was you know eminem was obviously involved in the planning process and they um one of the things was we had you know he just was like i'm not going to do it if we don't film it in detroit i'm not going you know, he basically never leaves Detroit anyway. Um, so they filmed it in all of the places where he used to do these battle raps. And um, and it soft pedals some of his, the horror show of his life, although you can kind of get an idea. Um, you know, the mother is Kim Basinger, which, you know, if you know anything about Eminem's real mother, which he's told us all in rap after rap, um, it's not Kim Basinger. Let's just say that. Um you know, it softens that just a little bit, you know, it's a Hollywood, whatever. But um, the real interest there, I think, is just that whole scene and how Curtis Hansen basically just was led. He let the scene lead him. He didn't try to impose anything on it. They, mm. The extras that they got, the special features on the DVD are fantastic because they had these extras show up to be in the audience for these battle raps and they're there for hours and they have to be screaming, you know, because they're participating and voting on you suck you're great for literally two days and so curtis hansen kind of realized he had to keep him so he was like okay we're gonna have our own battle rap on our lunch break and whoever wins can battle eminem you know so and everyone signed up you know it's he just and you can feel it in those in those scenes those are my favorite scenes you know there's all this stuff with girls you know Brittany murphy who's wonderful in it but for me, it's that whole vibe and like this kind of scary bouncer, but who, you know, is kind of trying to control the situation in that room. Yeah. Um, so here's going to be my my acrobatic transition. Bring it. <laughs> well, Eight Mile is, as you said, it's 2002. Um, and right around the same time is another movie that you talked about watching which I love that you, you brought up because um, that you put in your, your list uh, because I actually had just recently a pretty similar experience in terms of like just watching something that just finally felt like a release um, yeah. of, of some sort. I for know me. What you're say. Yeah. But this movie is Jackass, the movie. <laughs> oh, even just saying the name now, I just feel like, oh, God, life is good. This all came about because... Someone on Twitter said, uh, mm-hmm. Jackass needs to be on the Criterion Collection. That was <laughs> and it's literally, I think it has like 13,000 likes right now. And the, com- <laughs> the responses were all making me cry with laughter as well as emotions. <laughs> the first response was like, 
this isn't a remotely controversial take. (laughs) 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 And everyone, oh God. So, so I was like, oh, well, I need to go watch all of these again. I'd seen, I had watched the series. Mm -hmm. When was that? Late nineties, early two thousands. I mean, that's really, you know, when you still kind of turned on the television to watch. Anyway, it was just a different, (laughs) different time. So yeah, so anyway, I went back, I watched all of them. I went yeah. the first, the second, and the third. I'm telling you, it was, yeah, it was a release of, I don't know, I feel like there's, there's something more profound in those movies than, I mean, the responses to that tweet were definitely profound. My brother wrote a really, really great piece about it. Um, hmm. He's very anti-jackass without having even seen it. He just thought they were, you know, dumb and then he saw it and he had all of these feelings about what it meant about bravery and friendship and Mm. i don't know there is something just uniquely like cathartic about them because they just pick it's this great combination of like fight the fear and just total like stupidity but then there's a kind of like brilliance or wisdom to it because it's like yeah you just did it and you're you're still alive and you're fool but you're brilliant and alive but you're a fool it's just like this great completely ridiculous like yeah i'm looking at my brother's piece he basically was like this is about meaningless bravery see i'm laughing right now like we love you know we admire firemen and or firefighters and people who are brave Uh (laughs) you guys are brave for no reason that's great um but the other element of it is um investment in these guys like as friends because the way that they react (laughs) to each other, you know, someone gets punched in the face, you know, someone comes up with a boxing mitt and punches someone else in the face and they all just laugh. I don't, something, there's something about that. I'm sure that there are many people who are like, Oh, that's just horrible. This is why the world is the way it is. But I don't know. I grew up with people like, I know a lot of people like that. (laughs) I, no, I'm from an O'Malley family. We're a little rough sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe men can speak more to it than women, but I just know that there's something very truthful about it. Truth be told, I never had a, a, a friend or a friend group like that, and yet I still do recognize something in it, you know? Right. I mean, right. <laughs> <laughs> like you're not just, putting a fish hook through your cheek. That. <laughs> Second one was interesting. I was like, oh, the second one, they're actually, this is a little darker. It felt like they were going a little further. They were actually doing stuff that was going to ruin their bodies forever, like putting brands on their ass. And yeah, yeah. It felt like, oh, something's getting a little off, not off, but just like, it's not all fun and games now. <laughs> well, just picking up on that, I mean, that's like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to take the fun out of it, but, but that's where it gets to like a kind of Zen point because it's just like your body is nothing or something. You know what I yeah. mean? It's like, you're at the same time completely wrapped up in like the cringe factor of the pain right. that it must be happening, but also it's somehow it, it's cartoonish. So right. it feels like it's not, not even real, which is oh, maybe not a good thing. Supporting each other. That yeah. is one of the funniest things. Like someone is having a small alligator nibble on his nipple and everyone's laughing hysterically and yet also being like you can do it man you can do it man like (laughs) i don't know there's something and then jackass 3d moves into something that is quite profound because now they are older and you know it's going to be the last one they're all middle-aged now perfectly Mm -hmm. approaching 
on another level too, just seeing Johnny Knoxville with his rocket skates. I had to turn it off. I was laughing, you know, <laughs> like here I am. I'm going to be testing my rocket skates. It's totally yeah. meaningless bravery. What you're saying about there being friends and, and, and kind of laughing at, at each other, goading each other on, that also seems that something that's new about it. Um, you know, because I try to think like, oh, is this a little like, you know, what happens to Buster Keaton and kind of knock about comedy um, and, and that right. kind of thing. And uh, I don't know, what, what do you think of that kind of connection when, when you think of like... Well, I mean, they make that as 3D, they make that connection. Like he does the trick with the house. And oh yeah, you're right. In yeah. Credits, in the credits, he moves once, and the freaking thing falls on his head. <laughs> you know, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they're brilliant physically, but in the way that he was. But mm-hmm. I mean, the ideas of the stunts for sure mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. insane. Like you're gonna paint yourself. You have a mural of a rainbow and a tree, and you're gonna paint yourself also as a rainbow and a tree, so that you are now invisible to the camera. And then mm-hmm. a bull is going to come out and gore you, but the bull can see you because it's colorblind. Like, I don't know what you're doing. It's probably a hard sell for people who don't, haven't seen it. That's what is so interesting about my brother's piece. Cause he was like turned off just from the ads. Right. Right. And, um, and I'm not going to, I'm just going to say one thing that there were a couple of people on Twitter who were saying like, this is a, pr- uh, sorry. Now they're going to come for me. This is a classic text of toxic masculinity. It's like, it's the opposite. Which There's nothing toxic about that. It's just fun. And then you go to the emergency room, you know? <laughs> I don't know. That's, to me, it's not, that doesn't qualify. Just guys hanging out and pretending they're evil can evil? I don't know. It, but it, it's true. It is, I, it, it's interesting that coming at it as something that, uh, you know, like the idea of it, or it seems like kind of silly. I kind of had that with, um, something that I watched a little of recently, which is uh, Nathan for You, which is actually a TV show, um, and it's it's basically a prank show, and I really don't get much out of prank shows for yeah. any number of reasons. Just the kind of it depends on the particular tenor of like the individual show, but a lot of them it's just they're just obnoxious, but not in a fun way, and yes, yes, right, you know, or or they're they're actually kind of mean but not really owning up to it yes um, yes it's, you know it's a weird thing this is weird and i'm kind of really in the process of still understanding it like i i have decided that it is mostly staged maybe okay. i'm just telling myself this right okay um Why? that's how that's how it seems not too mean um, okay. and i, I think okay. i am right i think i'm right but basically the premise is and you know not you know, not, I'm coming to this late as another one of these things. Yeah. Um, but partly because I, I was kind of, you know, put off by the idea of it. Um, Nathan Fielder, he, uh, he plays a character, which is a MBA graduate who goes around playing like Mr. Fix-It for small businesses. He comes to them with these ideas, usually having to do with like getting, doing some like stunt, press stunt or something. Okay. But they're very ingenious. It's it's not like, I don't know, mascots and sandwich boards or something. It's stuff like he goes to a pizzeria and he wants to try to get more business. So he says, well, why don't you guarantee that you'll get your pizza to them in seven minutes? Uh-huh. <laughs> and the pizzeria guy is, and, you know, this is where I think it's partly staged because, like, I'd like to think that he's not, like, cratering a business in the process of helping it. But yeah. anyway. Yes, I got um, you. 
Right. But, it, you know, he's like, the pizza, pizzeria guy's like, uh, you know, I don't think we can actually do that. And then Nathan Fielder's like, that's okay, because you'll give him the pizza if you're late. And the size of the pizza will be like a quarter. It'll be a size of like a quarter or a half dollar or something. Okay. Which is a great sight gag because right. he's follow the delivery boy. He goes to there, with, you know, and, and they're like, you're late. You know, you've guaranteed it. And he says, okay, here's your free pizza. And he hands them this tiny little pizza. Box. Right. Okay. Um, so it's stuff like that. It's funny. Um, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's stuff like that. But then even more elaborate stuff. What's interesting is I actually saw uh, another kind of big piece he did at a film festival, at the True False Film Fest. And that helped me think about the whole series in a different light, because that's a documentary film festival, uh, yeah. or nonfiction film festival. And that helped me understand that there are a lot of layers going on. And I kind of think the whole show, it's like, on the one hand, sort of conceptual slapstick, let's say. Um, but it's also like this just satire of like all I these kind of, yeah. of like the Central American marketing idea, which is like, we're giving you crap. But telling you it's not crap, and tell, you yeah. know, and telling you that sort of thing—that's also been a cathartic thing. Yeah. And he plays this kind of nebbishy guy who's just who's not picking up on anyone's social cues whatsoever. So yeah, yeah. So. Where where can I see that? That one's on Hulu. I just okay. found that that it was on it was on Hulu. So. Well, let's see. You had another movie uh, that you mentioned that is going to going to give us more you know, kind of whiplash because um, it's an entirely uh, different area altogether. Again, Red Penguins. Yes, which is fantastic. So, the Red Penguins were the hockey team in Russia post collapse of the USSR. Gabe Polsky, who directed it had done a movie called a documentary called red army, which is basically the story of the terrifying and unbelievably successful USSR hockey team, which dominated the Olympics for whatever, 15, 20 years before the American college kids, you know, kind of came in in 1980, stole it from them. I had written that piece about um, miracle on ice for my column, yeah. my film comment column, because I think it was the 40th anniversary of Miracle on Ice, and I just kind of love that story. And yeah, so I had seen Gabe Polsky's Red Army, and so he interviews all of the Russians. So you hear the other side, and you see what they, the whole hockey culture in the Soviet, it was just a whole other. They lived in camps. They saw their wives like a weekend every seven months. You know, it was, that's why they were the best, you know? Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, so you hear their side of things about what the heck happened in Lake Placid. So anyway, that was Red Army. Polsky, his parents um, and his brother is also Alan Polsky. They are both filmmakers. I think they, and they both produced um, Bad Lieutenant, Portocol. That was one of the things they've done together as a producers. Very interesting guys. And I interviewed huh. Alan Polsky about their film that they did called Motel Life, which I just want everyone to see. Okay. Um, <laughs> starring Stephen Dorff, Chris Christopherson. So Gabe Polsky then is, did Red Army. 
and now he's come out with Red Penguins, which is the story of what the heck happened to this hockey dynasty post-collapse of communism, which came, of course, nine years after the Lake Placid thing. So it's like, suddenly the whole country goes into complete chaos. And so I can't remember who what team they were with, but they they came up with the idea that why don't we go invest Pittsburgh Penguins? Why don't we take a stake out in the, you know, have a stake in the Russian team and go over there and just start running it for them. And we'll, we'll have 50% of them and they'll have 50%. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's literally 1990, 1991. Okay. Over in Russia. So where you get the picture of the craziness of this was like a huge deal because we had been enemies cold war for 50 years, you know, 60 years that we were going over there and putting Nike logos and doing sponsorship stuff that these people, the Russians were like, what, you know, is that allowed? (laughs) You know, I mean, it really was this total. (laughs) So anyway, so it feels like it, what it really becomes though, why red penguins is so good is it really becomes just a history lesson um, or a reminder for those of us who remember it of those years in Russia and what happened. It leads from the collapse to Boris Yeltsin to the war to, you know, I remember seeing all this stuff on the news and then in comes yeah. Putin by the end. Okay. So and in that space was this kind of wild west with all the awfulness that, I mean, the rise of the oligarchs and the mafia that was eventually they chased America out of Russia, out of the hockey, you know, and Polsky who speaks, his parents are, were Russian immigrants. So he speaks Russian. So the interviews that he gets, and I read Mm -hmm. an interview with him, he gets them on the fly. He's talking to like ex KGB people in the middle of a park. And like some guy comes up basically threatening like this, like nobody wants this documentary out there because it's very critical of, the rise of Putin, basically. <laughs> it feels like it's a neat, a little niche kind of thing about hockey and stuff, but it's really not. It's really about that chaotic 1990 to 1995, you know, complete breakdown of society in Russia and how the strong man kind of came back and what happened with all these hockey players who finally were just moving to America to play with the NHL. Like, screw this, you know? Anyway, I highly recommend it. Dave Polsky has a very interesting style. Like, it's a serious subject, but he has kind of a little ironic. He has a really good feel for, like, when to cut. There's a moment where, you know, he'll he'll have people just be sitting there silently, like, reacting to what just happened, you know. So it's funny, but then it's also serious. I don't know. I think he really, and he did that in Red Army, too. He's not making fun of the subject, but his, his touch is light. You know, you can see when people are like not telling the truth. Everyone is coming to the table to be interviewed by him. Like nobody's transparent. You can feel sort of like, mm, am I allowed to say this now? Because, you mm-hmm. know, they were all the photographer, the team photographer was murdered. They started, kill, you know, they killed a player, these mafia guys. Jeez. I think they killed four people of the team. It just was kind of like, pay us off. Let us in on this money making thing or we're going to just kill all of you. So anyway, it's a really interesting story, Ooh. and I just wanted to mention it. I didn't review it. I was going to write something on my site about it, but I thought, oh, this is – it just came out, so it's streaming. I mean, that's such a, a scary and fascinating and 
kind of once in a lifetime period. I do remember kind of having a teacher trying to get across to us in 1990 how big this was. Right. You know, right. The, the, it's it's really crazy. And, and I you know, I, I often think about other countries like that that had these turnovers or, or came out of dictatorships, let's say, or something like South Korea. You know, I'm still trying to understand what that's like. I mean, there's this movie, The President's Last Bang, um, came out in the early 2000s, um, which is, that's, you know, that's a country... I mean, just another transition. Um, but going back to just this chaotic period um, in kind of post, post-Soviet Russia, that reminds me of another movie um, I, I watched, not recently, but seems worth mentioning, called Out of the Present. It's by Andrei Ujica, who directed the autobiography of Nikolai Ceausescu. Have you ever seen that? Oh, yeah. Oh, I love uh, that. I'm fascinated by this whole thing, like totalitarian marching, and I'm reading the yeah. cap mind right now you know i'm into all that stuff so that oh wow made for me okay yeah yeah well out of the present he did in the 90s and it's i mean it again it's just got this great you know once in a lifetime kind of premise at the center of it basically are the cosmonauts who went up to mir i guess it was the yeah. space station mir before the soviet union was dissolved while they were up there is when, it, it, you know, like the coup or whatever, the, all started happening. So when they came down, oh my god, they came down to like, yeah, the whole world different. <laughs> oh my god, um, your country's no no longer exists. Yeah, he just is. A, he's just a genius with just playing with that and figuring that out. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's always it's always interesting tracking these different historical personalities as well. Through you know, you mentioned Putin. Um, I mean, there is like a couple of Sergei um, Lesnitsa found footage movies too, where you know Putin is kind of in 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 the margins there. Um, yeah, I remember seeing. Of course, not. I didn't see it here because it was playing in, but it was would broadcast on the news of Boris Yeltsin's farewell address, where he is. Oh God! Devastated. Have yeah. you seen that footage? And he's speaking like he's water. You know, it's like slowed down. Like, and he call he's calling them like my dears and. Um, he's leaving and so yeah. using the hockey team as kind of the folk not the focus but like the sort of experiment okay bringing free market economy and like you were talking about marketing schemes with the Nathan you know it's like you know there's a strip club in the hockey arena of course because of course it's Russia and um, so they have <laughs> all of the strippers come in and be cheerleaders on ice skates you know literally in <laughs> and pasties and stuff and um, they have, you know, a mascot and they have sponsorship and, you know, all of these things that in a controlled economy, in a state control, was just not, was completely foreign. And people got right. blacked. It became like the place to go um, to see, you know, people coming down from the ceiling and doing stunts. And Like, it wasn't about the hockey. But so using this kind of thing that's going on in the arena and the craziness, it was a lot of drugs, a lot of a lot of crazy stuff going on as the microcosm for what was going on. It was a free for all. Mm -hmm. And then the strong men smelled the opportunities and came in. He's a very good interviewer. That's one of the things that is apparent in red army too, because he's often talking to guys who are little, don't actually want to talk to him or don't want mm -hmm. to answer mm -hmm. the questions that he's asking, but he just right. asked them, and he's speaking in Russian. So he's, he's, 
able to keep up, you know, and say, well, remember though what you said, you know, has that kind of feel. Um, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I recommend it. Yeah, Red Penguins. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch that that one. Should we end with one that you were telling me about? Because we're now we're on the sports thing. Yeah, that's that's a perfect that's a perfect um perfect connection. Yeah, that it's on Criterion Channel now, um, which is kind of great. It's it's because in a way this is a movie that I, I don't think was regarded as like one of the big movies by this this director, one one of the Romanian um, new wave uh, directors, uh-huh. um, Cornelio Porumboiu. Um and Porumboiu, I guess he did. 1208 east of Bucharest, you know, it's the similar moment, actually, is what we're talking about, which is falling down of, of Romania. Right. Um, and what's, hap- what's happening in this kind of simultaneous time space continuum of this show that is broadcasting about it. Uh, it's um, so funny. And oh, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love yeah. That. And so the same director, um, he did Infinite Football, uh, which is a great title it's his title which when you watch it you, you realize it's his, his title it's um and it's, it's one of these things where it's like how how did you realize this could be a movie um it's it's a documentary uh and it's just basically he visits with a childhood friend of his and it's it's really i feel like this is a subgenre of movie the movie where it's basically about a visit to a childhood friend of yours who has kind of taken a different path uh, and maybe is kind of going in circles a little, but that makes them really fascinating because you, you see what would happen if a person was just totally dedicated to, to some particular thing. And and in this case, he tries to reinvent the rules of soccer, of, of football. So basically his friend decides there's something wrong with soccer. It doesn't work right. Um, there's like a personal trauma involved because he, he injured himself in a game. And say, like, what's wrong with soccer? What's his problem? <laughs> his, and this is where it's like, you know, it feels like a case study in some like psychology manual. But basically he got, he got this terrible, really just gruesome sounding injury in a game. And I, I'm not going to be able to like s- summarize exactly how, but the rules surrounding how that happened, it, it kind of just, I'm thinking of like a fractal now. It just kind of like uh-huh. tessellates into this, into this, all these things he wants to change. And of course it's a change reaction, chain reaction, because you try to change one thing like offsides rules or, right. like, you know, <laughs> and, and you, and you get everything else, nothing else works. You know, you change one thing, you have to change 10 other things. Um, so it's just him doing that. But this guy is so earnest and so serious is he like going um, and, to like soccer leagues trying to make his pitch or is this just a personal private project? <laughs> it's it's mostly a personal project i think i can't tell if it's with the director's help or not but he does have like a team kind of test run his one of <laughs> oh. his versions of the rules at one point um watch. but they don't it's not like they do it and the game doesn't work they're just kind of puzzled by it um it, yeah. it's, it's it's so and then the more you watch it, and this is kind of something special about um, Warren Borges' movies, I think, which is that he takes one one little idea yeah. and then it keeps on, you know, rotating it and then it introduces some other complication. And then before you right. know it, you're you're just deep in the thicket uh, right. with something. It's like it's like this artistic version of 
of, of I don't know, like it, it's Kafka-esque in a way. And in this sense, you know what the guy does, um, his friend, he's consummate Soviet era bureaucrat, except still now he, he works for Romania. His job seems to be basically to redirect mail for like a city council or something. And you see him in action. It's the purest example of someone whose job is just to make things take longer. Got it. Got it. Um, I think this is also a good example of interviewing because, you know, like that, the the idea of editing in camera. In a way, he's like storytelling in camera because it's clear that he's recognizing within a moment and all he has to do is just not say something at one point and things are just going to get that much more ridiculous or weird. It's the not saying stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's the key. Wow. And then and the whole thing's sort of tragic, but he doesn't overplay it. I mean, it's clear this guy is kind of stuck in some way. But yeah. instead of instead of watching it and thinking, oh, geez, this sad, sad individual, you watch and you're like, wow, why am I identifying with this feeling of, sure. you know, trying to make sense of things, you know? And being so into something. And yeah. so uh, consumed, you know, not everybody has that in them, which surprised me because most of my friends are like that because we gravitate, but a lot of people don't get yeah. that obsessed. They're healthier. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's a movie I was skeptical of because it almost sounded like too clever for its own good. Yeah. Um, right. Um, and, but it, his movies sometimes feel that way. It's personal for this guy. It's not yes. just like, oh, this kind of esoteric, like the infield fly rule. I mean, just go on a baseball festive court. Yeah. Be almost weeping how strongly they <laughs> feel about these things. Um, this is just more like, well, I got hurt and the way it all went down is just unfair. So I got to redo the whole thing, which I find quite endearing. I relate to it. It maybe isn't something that you'd want to actually admit, but that's what right. makes it interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And and that's that's also yeah, where that's where you you know, one can relate to it because I mean what sets one off on any any given like path or something? It's sometimes sometimes there's like a flashpoint like this, sometimes there's not. Um and, and then it takes a turn, it takes a left turn to the right turn and you're just somewhere else. Yeah, you and before you know it, you're trying to write new rules for soccer. <laughs> right. God, it should just be a whole new game. <laughs> Yeah, it's this would be kind of movie where there might have been like a, you know, like kind of ironic approach to it, but it's not that, you know, where you're kind of skeptical. You know, do you remember that movie, American movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think about that movie often. My friend and I still call Coven Coven because of that movie. But I, I, I felt watching that, I have to see it again. It's been a long time. I think I saw it at the Angelica when it came out, but. Gosh, he's doing more than I'm doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> yeah. He's like making a movie. Well, yeah, that's personal passions. Where, where, where would we be with it with without yeah. them? Yeah, yeah, it's it helped get me through quarantine. I'll tell you that. I mean, I'm deep down in these YouTube hip hop commentators. Woo! They know their stuff. I meant, to, I meant to ask about that. You've, you've been reading the kind of back and forth, the, the entire oh, like argument. And the, you know, and I'm going back in time. So like Machine Gun Kelly, you know, dissed mm-hmm. Eminem and then Eminem dissed and then they all argue. And I mean, that's just one example. There's so many, so many, because it's all battle rap again. It's Right, right. But the, the, the gloves are definitely off. 
Yeah, for yeah. sure. This is going to kind of be my uh, ultra nerd out for, for the moment. Um, but I remember when I was reading like, uh, you know, like Roman poets in school, um, which happened to be like at the same time when a lot of, you know, hip hop was going more mainstream. And I, you know, when I read Horace or Catullus or something, it's right there. Like it's, it's, you know, for me, the comparison was, was more to what was going on right then, which is people right. calling each other, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Cause they, they're constantly putting each other down about like, Oh, you know, like I forget if it's, I think it's Catullus. He's like, your kakata karta or something, which just means like your shitty writing, you know? <laughs> you know? Right. And, oh, I love it. Right. Right. <laughs> and it's this, it's the same thing. And, and I, I don't know. I always thought someone should, uh, someone should write about, write about you. that. Um, you should. Well, I don't know. I, <laughs> I have to spend some time on the message boards. I got to get, I got to get schooled first, I think. Before yeah. I, yeah. There's a whole, there, I've gotten pretty deep into the diss tracks people are still arguing about stuff that happened, you know, 20 years ago. These are my kind of yeah. people. What can I say? All right. Well, um, yeah, we've covered a lot of ground here, so I think we can, we can pull it a day. This is so fun. Yeah. <laughs> Good to hear um, your voice. Is there anything coming up that you want to mention that people should keep an eye out for or something you've written? Absolutely or? not. Nope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yes, I wish there was. I'm working on some stuff, but I'm not ready to talk about it. Let's just say that. Okay. It's absolutely no no judgment here. Um, but you definitely have the uh, Roger Ebert reviews. Yes. yes. So you can find it there. And on the and on the message boards for you. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No life shack. Stevie Knight, script work. These guys are amazing. Doc Rich, uh, King Crooked. Okay. Take notes, people. All right. Well, we have our we have our recommendations now, um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go off and go exploring myself. Um, but thank you again for her talking. Um, and yeah, come back anytime.